promise I'm not drunk. I just started one sip. Welcome back to Sludgy True <laughs> Crime Trine. It's a podcast where the planets align. <laughs> I was just proud I got the first part right. I'm on the right podcast right now. All right. Planets are aligning. They've scooched right over into Aquarius today, I noticed. Oof. I like Aquarius. I'm sad. I'll miss Capricorn season, though. <laughs> Is this what it feels like to have ADHD? Yes. Okay. Fucking hell, man. Planets, alignment, friends, chatting, crime, astrology, bullshit. We're here. Episode 42. Oh, we're your hosts. We are your Hannah. hosts. Hannah. Sarah. Hannah. <laughs> Hannah. <laughs> Hannah. <laughs> and Meredith. Uh, don't cut it. Cut it. Don't cut it. Okay. Hannah has not been drinking. She's only had one sip. Only one sip of Everclear. Maybe this is happiness. Is it happiness? When your medication is right. (laughs) My medication's not right, though, because I'm pretty sure my psychiatrist is not refilling my prescription because she wants me to make an appointment with her, and I don't want to make an appointment with her, so we're at a stallmate in which I don't get my prescriptions. It's going well for both of us. That doesn't seem safe or healthy. No. I always, because I go through CVS, you can have them request refills from the um, prescriber uh-huh. when you run out of the ones they prescri- prescribed you before. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and she's always done it before. And now this time, I've had them ask like four times in a row now to like send a request to the provider and nothing has happened. And I'm just like, but I don't want to call. Because then you'd have to make your appointment. I don't actually mind talking to her. I like her, but she works for like psychiatry california so it's this big ass phone tree i don't have a number for her i don't have a number for her office i don't oh, have a number lame. i've only met her through zoom she doesn't actually work out of date it's a whole fucking disaster and i'm just like maybe i'll just be sad or happy sad i was sad though this is the most energy i've had in 2022 right now okay i just want to say because my adhd is saying that we need to talk about this before it goes out of the brain but when you said prescribed as past yeah. tense for prescribe i yes. thought of prescribbles because there's such a scribble Oh, yes. My prescribbles. She's not prescribing me. <laughs> Your prescribbles expired. <laughs> and I'm feeling a little like scribbly up here. <laughs> oh. But man, dude, I'm doing okay. Still got some stuff. I'm only taking six pills a day. But I'm missing the one that makes you actually feel happy sometimes. So this but is But you're feeling happy. Yeah. Cool. Excellent. Oh, right. We did the intro. Uh, so any cleanup? Crew time. Housekeeping. Housekeeping. Sweep, sweep, sweep. Mop, mop, mop. I have dust, dust, two. Dust. Okay. Vacuum. Or three. I have three. So number one, Spotify now has ratings. So what? please go oh. and give us five stars. That's new. I didn't know that. I did. I know that hurts my heart a little bit, but love us, please. <laughs> yes. Five stars, please. Thank you. And then... <laughs> I want to send a congratulations to TT and Tio on their engagement. I they got saw engaged. that. Happy engagement, fan club president. 
Happy engagement. Sorry, I have my mouth full. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you gave her a nice burp. She'll appreciate it. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then my third is a shout out to Plants Are Optional. Hey! <laughs> I'm on that. Because a few episodes ago, you guys talked about putting a wet towel around your beverages that you put in the freezer. Mm-hmm. Life-changing. I learned something that day. Tonight, I am enjoying ice-cold Cosmic Crisp ciders, even though they were only in the freezer for, like, 20 minutes. So thank you for changing my life. Plans are optional. Yeah, that one wasn't me, but it has also changed my life. I knew about that trick since I don't even know when, but because I am terrible at reminding myself to go get something out of the freezer in time... I just don't. <laughs> you gotta set a timer. <laughs> nope. Okay. I'll go, I will get lost on my way to set the timer. <laughs> Fair. Okay. You know your limitations. I've I've been wronged a few too many times by that method, so I just don't anymore. <laughs> I have an announcement about my mental health. Okay. I cried the other day. <gasps> wow. Real tears trickled out of my eyeballs. Were they sad tears or happy tears? Tears of frustration? No, they were probably good tears. So I've never seen... Oh my god. What the fuck is that show with the Fab Five and they like make over your life? Five gay men come in and fix everything? I think it's just called the Fab Five, isn't it? I've never even heard of this show. Are you kidding me? I thought you don't watch TV, Hannah. I don't. Andrew wanted to watch this. I wanted to watch it. Andrew's like, we put this on. And I was like, the, the first episode, I was just like, at the end, I was like... I'm, I'm crying right now. <laughs> it's so sweet. It's sad. <laughs> just like, so they're still there. Queer Eye for the straight guy? Oh, yeah, but yeah. But I think it might just be Queer Eye because they do women too. Yeah. Anyway. Excellente. Tears still exist here. Good to know. <sighs> yeah. All right. Are you ladies ready? Totally. Yes. So, as I mentioned last week, I am going to be highlighting cases in states in which mm. we still need listeners to complete our set of 50. Yeah, yeah. And I had chose Arizona for this week, but Arizona beat me to the punch, <laughs> and we picked up an Arizona listener last week, but I still have a doozy this is a of a gift. case. For them. It is. For coming it to us. It is a us. gift. Please Welcome. don't be from Pace, Arizona. No, it's all Phoenix. The shit we talk. Oh, okay. God. Phoenix is a weird place. I have family down there. We went down to visit, and Hannah will love this. We went to a hot dog place, which was amazing, and they hot had dog. so many different types of hot dogs. Oh, and God. I love it. I ended up getting a bacon bagel dog, which was phenomenal. It was wow. so good. But yeah. I don't know, I can't remember what the name of that place was. But then we also went to this very authentic Ma Mexican restaurant and we got some of the best tortillas I've ever had. So that was super great. Nice. Flour or corn? Both, actually. Oh. We got the 50-50. Nice. The very I don't last, remember what that place was either. The very last like trip I made before the pandemic happened was to Phoenix. I saw my best friend get married and celebrated my birthday down there. Yay. It's nice. I also passed out really hard. And you got the world's most hilarious tan line there. Oh, my God. Did you? <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. 
I just had this like diamond of like burnt right in between my boobs. <laughs> she, yeah, she covered her shoulders but not her chest, and it was like literally an arrow pointing down between her like V neck uh, bikini thing. Yep, titties. You know, it's down um... there. <laughs> Whatever it's called. That's great. I'm like just in case you're missing it, I'm the right here. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I am going to take you back to the 1930s. Yes. All right. Have either of you heard of the trunk murders in Phoenix, Arizona? Are you talking torsos no. or are you talking cars? Or both. Or both. Maybe both. Okay. <clears throat> no, I haven't. I have not. Let me introduce you to Winnie Ruth Judd, or Ruth, as her friends and family called her. Okay, we're not going to do Winnie. Mm-mm. Winnie's a rough one. It is. We're going to go Ruth because that's what her friends and family called her. She's also known as the Trunk Murderess, the Tiger Woman, the Blonde Butcher, or by her alias in her later life, Marion Kane. Okay. I was going to ask if you want to be on a friend's name basis with her. Well... I do that a lot. I use their first names when I like their first names, and I use their last names, and I'm just like, eh. (laughs) Ruth is better. Let's do Ruth. Yeah, I went with Ruth for writing the script. So, and normally I try to use their like last name, I think, to kind of separate yourself from the criminal. And yeah. I almost always go first name to make it sound more like a campfire story or something, I guess. Or like it sure. could have been anyone that you know. Ruth it is. Winnie Ruth Judd was born on January 29th of 1905 in either Darlington or Oxford, Indiana. So I I read it sure, both right ways. Up. And she was born to the Reverend H.J. McKinnell and Carrie McKinnell. And H.J., because I had to look it up, because I'm like, what's H.J.? And I have found that, like, in these historical type cases, a lot of people went by initials, Ooh. probably because they didn't like their name. But <laughs> H.J. Oh, yeah. is Harvey Joy. Yeah. So there you go. Reverend McKinnell raised his family in a free Methodist faith, and we did talk a little about Methodist in episode 21 in the Velisca Axe Murders, mm-hmm. but for those of you like me who don't know or don't remember, the free Methodist faith emphasizes the doctrine of sanctification, which is a post-conversion process of spiritual and moral growth through prayer, Bible study, interaction with fellow believers, and the simplicity of worship. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't have timed that better. That's about how I was feeling about all of that. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, free Methodist <laughs> listeners. Sorry. The following year, the McKinnell family welcomed their son, Burton McKinnell. Burton. Love it. There was really nothing spectacular or salacious about their childhood, except for Ruth's propensity for becoming a mother. So it was said that even as a very young child, she frequently talked about having a baby of her own. Wow. This is kind of funny. So when she was seven, she spread a rumor around town that her mom was pregnant. Oh, my God. And then neighbors came to their house to congratulate Carrie. And let's say things were just a little bit awkward (laughs) because Carrie was just as surprised to hear the news. She's like, me? Because she was not Uh, pregnant. Are you sure? (laughs) Isn't the doctor supposed to tell me first? Like, what? (laughs) 
How did that happen? So as a teenager, Ruth started to work at the Indiana State Hospital, and this is where Ruth would meet her husband, Dr. William Judd. He was 26 years her senior. Oh, Willie and Winnie, guys. William was a World War I veteran, and he had sustained injuries during the war, which led to morphine and alcohol addictions. All right, red flag number two. Mm. In April of 1924, Ruth married Dr. William Judd, and then the couple honeymooned in New Orleans. Okay, that actually sounds fun. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. You know he drinks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And does drugs. Whee! I'm sure it was such a great time. So William had a hard time keeping a job due to his addictions, but he was able to secure an on-site physician position for a large mining company. However, the couple would need to move to Mexico. Oh, Mexico! Mm-hmm. So Ruth packed her things to start her new life with William. She said goodbye to her family. And sadly, this would not be a fairy tale marriage for Ruth. Mm. William's addiction proved to be exceptionally challenging, especially for such a young woman. Yeah, because he's the, much yeah. older. Mm-hmm. Does not have the tools and probably isn't accepted as an equal in that partnership. <laughs> no, and she grew up in a religious household and she wanted to have a baby when she was seven, so. That's mm-hmm. that's all she is going to aspire to, essentially. I think she does more. Well. <laughs> this is why you want to raise your kids with other aspirations. Women's lib. Mm-hmm. So the biggest challenge in their relationship was children. Mm. William was unwilling to have children, and Ruth desperately wanted a child of her own. Ooh, Pull out game strong. talk about that beforehand. Right? So what is a girl to do? Sleep masturbate uh, him. Oh. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Chop him. I don't know. Tie him up. <laughs> Get a big needle, stick it right in the ball sack, and just plunge out. Oh, extract it yourself. (laughs) DIY turkey baster. No, none of those. Nope. (laughs) Ruth stopped taking her birth control, and she didn't tell him. That's yeah. That yeah. I would do it. It's a trap. But they are married already. So wait, sorry. What year is it? They had birth control. So it was kind of unclear as to when this was. So, like, the case itself is 1931. So this is a few years before. Let's see. She was born in 1905. She was 17, 18. Wow. She was, was like, 1920, what, 1923, 1924, somewhere around there. Okay. She stops taking her birth control, and she does become pregnant. William made the decision and performed an abortion on Ruth. (gasps) He decided that she was not emotionally or physically ready to have a child or be a mother. First of all, William, look in the mirror. Second of all, ah, even if I wanted an abortion, I don't want my husband to do it. Right. Naturally, Ruth was really traumatized and fell into a very deep depression over this. Oh, well, yeah. For fucking real. Even people who get an abortion and they wanted the abortion mm-hmm. can still fall into a deep depression afterwards. Like, yeah. God, an abortion in the f- 1920s? 
Yeah. And it to be forced on you. Yeah. Yeah. When all you want is the child. I can only imagine how awful this must have been for her. So there are a few articles that indicated that Ruth had contracted tuberculosis as well. So for those of you who may not know, tuberculosis or TB is a bacterial infection that generally affects your lungs. These ciders are really I thought you were going to cough and I was like, that'd be perfect for TB. (laughs) Burping. Sorry, folks. So let's take a minute to picture what Ruth's life is like at this time. So she's far away from home. Mm. She's in a foreign country. She has a really great instability in her marriage. Her husband's an addict. She had this forced abortion. She has health issues. There's depression, most likely anxiety. I mean, the list could really go on and on. So it's almost like she's got the entire world on her shoulders. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. Despite all of this, though, she really, really loved William. And so she did try to make it work with him, which I thought was interesting. And that might have to tie back into some of her religious upbringing as well. Yeah. Then William lost his job at the copper mine. Can't even keep your mining job, sir. And Ruth found out that she was pregnant again. Oh. Don't tell him. (laughs) Fake your period. Make your period. Go get a syringe of blood. In. I mean, like, you can make no, yourself kidding. Just kidding. from anywhere else in your body, I know. you know? <laughs> True. <clears throat> Uh-oh, that one's gone, and I have this one. Whoopsie. It's fine, because I didn't plan ahead, so I'm about half on this boy. I might have to go get another one soon. There are a few different versions of what happened next. Number one is that Ruth just left William in Mexico and moved to Phoenix, Arizona. By herself? The second was that Ruth and William both moved to Laredo, Texas, where William subsequently sold their car for drugs, and then Ruth left him and moved to Phoenix. The third was that William and Ruth moved to El Paso, Texas, and then to Phoenix, where she put him into, like, a veteran's hospital for addiction. Hmm. Wow, they had those in the I'm surprised. 20s and 30s too. Mm-hmm. But no matter which way it happened, the bottom line is that Ruth ended up in Phoenix, Arizona, and this is around 1930. Without William. Good riddance. Okay. I don't blame her. No. That girl had a lot going on. She had been through so much. She did, however, stay married to William and stayed in contact with him. Oh, all right. But he's not like around around. No. So... We're going to go Phoenix, Arizona, 1930. So on February 14th of 1912, Arizona became the 48th state in the Union. Arizona is best known for the Grand Canyon, which was carved out by the Colorado River. Amazing. Mm-hmm. I <laughs> And the Cigarro National Park. And I don't know if I said that right, but I so, gave it I a shot. I think it's Saguaro, but yeah, they're gorgeous Saguaro? and amazing. Okay. Yeah. And while Arizona has quite a diverse climate in Phoenix, which is the state capital, it is a desert climate with a low annual rainfall and low relative humidity. And many tuberculosis patients sought refuge in Phoenix during this time because of the drier climate. So that's kind of a part of this. And then for Sarah, the state flower is the... Cigarro, how did you say it? Saguaro. It's like the G is like a W almost, is how I've heard it pronounced, but I could be wrong too. Okay. So it's the Saguaro cactus blossom, which is really beautiful. That would be fun to draw, actually. Okay. So we've got new life 
Fresh start. Dry air. She'll be fine. <laughs> nice temperatures. But let's Hot throw in the Great Depression. Oh, that too. And the Dust Bowl. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's already kind of dusty there sometimes. Yeah. Except yeah. if you are careful when you are crossing the desert or walking on it, the desert crust shouldn't be disturbed and actually like, keeps the dust down to a certain degree. Okay. The crust is like microbial activity and it helps hold it together. So that's like if you, like why you need to stay on trail everywhere you go. Mm. Because in forests and stuff, detritus is always falling and like matting itself down and decomposing. But in the desert, it takes like years to replenish. So if you go hiking in the desert, stay on the trail because you could be like killing an ecosystem. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. You won't find my ass hiking in Arizona. (laughs) I went there once. Oh, yeah. Everyone said it was a dry heat. 117 degrees is not fucking dry when you've got a river running down your ass. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's dry or wet at that point. Fuck that. Yeah, no. Nothing is. (laughs) You're losing all your water to the environment. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Arizona, not for me. We'll just say that. Unless it's like winter, then I'll go visit my family down there. That's why I went in December for the wedding. But I also went in March and I got a sunburn and passed out in a bathroom. So I have mixed feelings about Phoenix. (laughs) I can't wait till we can all hang out. It's going to be so much fun. Don't worry. When I pass out in a bathroom, I won't tell you about it. Okay. You'll knock on the door. When I throw up in the bathroom from over drinking, I won't tell you guys about it. (laughs) So, Rusin, Arizona, she started working as a governess for the Lee Ford family. And I did have to look up what a governess was because oh. I was thinking it was like uh, a maid almost. But it's really more like a teacher or a nanny position that lives in the house. So, Ruth really loved this job, oh, right? Kids. It involves children. Mm-hmm. And this position also afforded Ruth the opportunity to meet some more of the affluent members of the Phoenix community at the time, which included the Ford's neighbor, Jack Halloran, who was 44. Happy Jack, as Don't he like was it. better known. Hate mm-hmm. it. I know. <laughs> we'll just be referring to Happy him as Jack. Jack. My mind immediately jumped to Happy Trail. Ew. Yeah, no. <laughs> and I was just like, Bleh. That's gross. Now I can't get that out You're of welcome, my head. You're welcome, everybody. Thank you. Join me. So Jack was the part owner of a large lumber mill. You do what I do. A heel. A meal. Yeah, meal. that was wrong. Mill. Mill. I can say mill. You're catching meal. it from me. So Jack was the part owner of a large lumber mill yard whatever (laughs) as well he was very connected throughout the phoenix area so he was considered to be kind of this elite man got mr phoenix Phoenix, over here right and jack was married with children but was known to be quite the ladies man hmm that doesn't sound good (laughs) And it didn't take long for Jack to charm the very young, beautiful Ruth. So within a few months, Ruth parted ways with the Fords, probably because of her affair with Jack. (laughs) And she started working as a medical secretary for the Grunau Clinic. And I hope I pronounced that right. So, okay. So side note, the clinic was built in 1931 after William Grunau, who was a wealthy businessman from the Midwest, endowed 1 million. And you consider this is the 1930s. So 1 million is like a bajillion. So much money. But he didn't. I didn't look it up. 
but he endowed this $1 million to honor his seven-year-old daughter, uh, Lois Anita Grenau, who had died at the age of seven from a ruptured appendix. So basically, this clinic was like kind of like an all-inclusive medical facility. So it, the clinic opened with 13 specialists, a laboratory, a research center, a radiology department, and a medical library. And if you look at the pictures, which we'll throw up on the website, the building is really quite beautiful if you if you look at it. It was really well done. So a very fitting honor for this gentleman's daughter. So Ruth started as this medical secretary and the job paid pretty well for the time and she was able to rent this little apartment and was even able to send some extra money to her husband, Dr. Judd, who was now in a drug rehab facility in California. All right, Dr. Judd. (laughs) I know. Life seemed to be looking up. Ruth was doing pretty well, all things considered. I like this single independent Ruth. Yeah. At the clinic, she met Agnes Ann Leroy, who was 32, and she went by Annie. Okay. And she was an x-ray technician at the clinic. And then Annie's roommate, Hedvig Samuelson. These names are amazing. (laughs) And she went by Sammy Samuelson. That's fun. Sammy Samuelson. (laughs) Love it. And these three ladies seem to make fast friends, and they really enjoyed spending time together. So a little bit more about Annie and Sammy. In February of 1930, Annie met Sammy in Alaska, and Annie was working as a registered nurse, and Sammy was a school teacher, and they became immediate friends, and it was thought that they may have been more I was than like, friends. Is this a roommate uh, situation? Uh-huh. Roommate, roommate. Ro- roommates. Yep. Okay. Annie was originally from Oregon, and she was twice divorced, and I don't really know how she ended up in Alaska, but she ended up in Alaska, and then she met Sammy. And anyways, they they were friends, and they decided to move from Alaska to Arizona in September of 1931 because Sammy had contracted tuberculosis. Hi, it was two guesses. Mm-hmm. The pair moved into a little bungalow on 2929 North 2nd Street. Never been. (laughs) (laughs) The next time I go, though, to visit my family, I'm going to, we're going to do a drive. (laughs) Nice. Not Not a drive by, but like, (laughs) Not a a gangster drive by, but yeah. Go go check it out. Yeah. Because it's still there. Okay. There isn't a lot of information about whether Ruth introduced Jack to Annie and Sammy or if Jack had already known them. It was suggested that Jack would bring his married friends, you know, these are more of the affluent male members of the community, Mm. along with bootleg booze, and that they would party with the women. Sounds fun. Hey, you want a party? Party. Party. Depression party. Mm-hmm. And then these men, including Jack, would also in turn give gifts and money to Annie and Sammy and Ruth. So it's speculated that it might be almost a brothel type That's situation. Less of a roommate's thing. But <laughs> we're not sure. It did appear that Annie and Sammy were also interested in Jack 
as he was known to frequent their house by himself without Ruth. Oh, no. They're friends. Yikes. Chicks before dicks. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) And Ruth actually moved in with the women for a very brief time, but it did not last very long because the three women would get into arguments quite often. And then so Ruth moved back to her little apartment because that friendship was starting to dissipate pretty quickly. Mm. So now we're going to pop forward to Los Angeles, California. On Monday, October 19th of 1931, at approximately 7.45 a.m., the Golden State Limited passenger train from Phoenix, Arizona, arrived at Los Angeles's central station. Two trunks... Oh, remained. oh, that kind of trunk. I didn't even... Oh, oh a travel huh? trunk. That's oh. the other kind I was thinking of. Two trunks remained unclaimed. <laughs> Baggage checker Jerry Brooker noticed a foul smell no. and a dark ooze. Sorry, Jerry. Coming from the trunks. It seemed odd, but during the 1930s, it was not uncommon for hunters Ew. to try to smuggle, like, venison yeah, in their game. luggage. Hey, I wanted to do that with um, our friend Shep from Georgia, because he oh, has yeah, a, actually. an abundance of venison in the wintertime. Yeah, that's true. So I was like, oh, I'll bring an extra suitcase to this conference and then, like, dra- like fly down there really quick, pop back up with, like, 50 pounds of deer. I just wanted to Because that's the Shep. limit for check baggage. The venison I could take or leave. Like, but Shep? In a in a trunk, Shep would need like five <laughs> a big trunks. One. He's a very tall. He's a boy. tall boy. Hello, Shep. <laughs> You're not listening. <laughs> this is way too dark for you, Shep. Also, he okay. has no social media. He doesn't even know this is happening. Yeah. So Jerry, being the really great baggage checker that he was, was suspicious, and so he alerted his supervisor, which it says Jim Anderson or Arthur Anderson. I don't know. We're gonna call him Jim. Jim. Oh, what happened? Did he bite you? No, he just like got up really awkwardly on me with his little claws. Oh, no. Is that Morris? Yeah, it's usually Wobbles. Look at that face. (laughs) Oh, hi, baby. (laughs) Say hi. Oh, he's so sweet. He never meows when I want him to. (laughs) Always when you don't. (laughs) You gotta squeeze him so we can try to get that audible toot. (laughs) That was great, Morris. Thank you. All right. Okay, so back up. (laughs) Jerry alerted his supervisor, Arthur or Jim. We're going with Jim. The men were suspicious. It's weird. Something's going on with these trunks. A truck pulled up with a young man and woman inside. The young woman was a very small, thin, attractive, dishwater blonde, and she did have a bandaged hand, and the pair approached Jerry. The young woman apologized for her delay in picking up her luggage, but said that she had been waiting for her brother in order to pick the trunks up because they were rather heavy. Mm-hmm. Dead bodies do that. She handed Jerry her claim ticket. Jerry alerted Jim, who came from his office to question the young woman. Jim asked the woman about the contents of the trunks. She seemed uneasy, but said she just had some personal articles in there. (laughs) Don't worry about it. It's all my period clothes. (laughs) None ya. None ya fucking business, Jim. So, Jim asked her about the smell, and she just basically denied that there was a smell she's like how dare you (laughs) (laughs) 
And then he asked about, like, the oozing substance. And again, she was just like, I don't know. Weird. I don't know what that could be. So odd. Jim then asked the woman to open the trunk. So she started looking through her purse and, like, was even more, like, uneasy and questionable, right? And then she just looked at him and said, oh, my husband must have the keys. I don't have the keys. And then she kind of, like, edged her brother off the platform to his truck. And they just left. Without the trunks. (laughs) Right. So Jim had offered to let her use his phone to call her husband. And she was just like, nah, we're out. Goodbye. (laughs) Yeah. They left. Yeah. So Jim was look. They still have the claim ticket though, right? But do they have the trunks too, or no? Yeah, they okay. sold the trunks. Okay, yeah. They've got the claim ticket. They've got the trunk still, and the claim ticket belonged to Winnie Ruth Judd. Well, hello there. Are there two rivals in those trunks? <laughs> so let's talk about the trunks. I think that we all can agree that Ruth's behavior was quite suspicious. Oh, Ruth. Yeah. The LAPD were notified around 4.30 p.m. that evening, and police officers came to the station where they had to pick the locks to open the trunks. So let's just say that no one was prepared for what they were about to discover. Yeah. I know. I'm just like, ugh. Because, like, they should have been a little bit prepared, but okay. <laughs> Based on the smell, <laughs> yeah. can't smell any better inside if it smells outside. There's a picture of the trunks that we can put up with this. It's quite interesting. But both of the trunks were black with silver hardware. The larger trunk was a Packard brand, which was a 48 by 20 by 38. And it weighed in at about 230 pounds. Oh, shit. That's a big trunk. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So after removing, there was like some articles of clothing and some other stuff in there. The police found the intact remains of Annie Leroy. Ooh. Don't make friends. Yeah. <laughs> the smaller trunk was a steamer brand, like a steamer trunk, and it was a 15 by 18 by 36, weighing in at 185 pounds. I can see why they left them behind. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to get a quick getaway with that. No. The Inside, the police located the partial remains of Sammy Samuelson. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those remains showed three bullet wounds and seemed to be surgically dismembered. Oh. And that's important for later. Hmm. Another unlucky train station employee <laughs> located a beige valise, which I had to look up what the fuck that meant. But basically, it's like a small overnight bag. And then a hat box that had been abandoned in the woman's restroom. So inside the valise, the police recovered the torso of Sammy. Oh, God. So there was a trunk. Yeah. 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 Was there a head in the hat box? No. Damn. It was not. It was actually in the trunk. Just loose articles, you know. Yeah, yeah. Various articles of personal effects. Why did she go back from the trunks if she abandoned a hat box and a phallus, whatever, in the train? Who knows? I don't know. Okay. This is a crazy pants story. Very fitting of an Aquarii. Inside the hat box, the police discovered a Colt pistol, which was a 
25 caliber, some surgical tools, makeup, and toiletries. Okay, mixed bag. Okay. Was hilarious. She was ready to do both. Mm-hmm. The police are trying to, like, wrap their heads around this really gruesome discovery, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, the fuck? What, what do we do with this? Yeah. yeah. Burton McKennell was dropping his sister Ruth off somewhere in Los Angeles. Oh, that really was her brother. It was her brother. Mm -hmm. So what the fuck happened, right? Burton! I'm concerned for him. (laughs) I know. So we'll get to the events of that evening in a little bit. So we'll say that the LAPD contacted the Phoenix police, right? It came from Phoenix. They had Ruth's name, and they didn't, there was not a ton of information about how the remains were identified so quickly or how the connections were made, but it happened. Rumor has it, though, that there may have been some Phoenix police officers that were very familiar with that little bungalow on 2nd Street. Okay, what is this fucking bungalow? I know, right? Phoenix police entered Annie and Sammy's residence on the evening of Monday, October 19th, 1931, to collect evidence. However, not unlike the Velisca Axe House or the Lawson Family House or even the Bell Family House, tours were soon offered oh to no. the neighbors. Gotta make that money. You want to see why your property value is going down? Come check it out. It's the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. Make that money where you can. Yeah, I guess that's true. (sighs) People came through. Basically, it destroyed the integrity of the entire crime scene. The landlord was looking to cash in on this. And so he actually placed ads in the Arizona Republic and the Phoenix Evening Gazette. The price... Just 10 cents per person. I can imagine huh. reading that that evening in the Gazette and being like, ooh. Let's go check it out. <laughs> Wait, thanks, Sounds sweetie. interesting. So given that you could spend an afternoon at a movie for 10 cents oh, back in the day. I'm definitely going to the, the murder house. The price seems pretty reasonable. Yeah. But let's just say a lot of fucking people walk through that fucking bungalow. Yeah. Phoenix police suspected that Annie and Sammy were shot while they were asleep in their beds because the mattresses were missing. Oh, that's (laughs) kind of obvious. (laughs) One mattress was eventually recovered a few miles away in a vacant lot, but there weren't any bloodstains on it. What kind of stains were on it? Is that the question we're asking? Nope. No, no stains? Nope, no stains. I mean, I'm guessing they didn't look for semen stains. Ew. Yeah. I know. Gross. And the other mattress was never located. So, meanwhile, as the Phoenix police are doing their thing, the LAPD are trying to locate this wayward murderer, right? (laughs) Winnie! (laughs) Ruth was not on the run for long. She was located hiding out in a funeral home of all places. (laughs) God, I love her emo ass, but I hate her deeds. But that's great. Right. That's great. (laughs) So she was captured, or I'm sorry, she surrendered on Friday, October 23rd, 1931. So she was on the run for about a week. And it doesn't say how or when, but they shipped her ass back to Phoenix. Three months later, on January 19th of 1932, Ruth stood trial for the murder of Annie Leroy. Not both of them, just Annie. Okay. 
Now, imagine that this was a very salacious case for the time, and it was being reported throughout the entire nation, but in Phoenix, they weren't. They did They weren't it? reporting it. Whoa. No. Weird. Super weird. But if the house was actually a brothel... And all of these well-connected oh, members. Oh, yeah. They're like, no, we don't want You're anyone little, to what worry now? about this. The bungalow? What bungalow? Right. There's no bungalow What's a on bungalow? Street. I'm rich. <laughs> I live in a mansion. <laughs> so it was just kind of interesting to read about how, like, the, you know, the Phoenix press wasn't really reporting on this. So... People in Phoenix had to, like, reach out to other media sources. Hmm. And it's the 1930s. Yeah, it's not easy. The state would argue that Ruth and Annie and Sammy had gotten into an argument about Jack. And that Ruth shot and killed the women in kind of a rage, if you will. I will. (laughs) And then the state claimed that Ruth had stuffed the pair into the trunks and then they maintained that Ruth had then shot herself in the hand because remember she had that bandaged hand. Girl, what? To kind of attempt to argue self-defense. There was no mention whatsoever of the dismemberment of Sammy's body. She wasn't charged with Sammy's murder, just Annie's murder. Mm. Well, so how did she move the trunks if they were like 200 plus pounds? Lots of questions. Okay, we got questions. Ruth did not take the stand in her defense. On February 8th of 1932, the jury rendered a guilty verdict. Judge Speakman sentenced Ruth to death by hanging. Whoa! Whoa! Wow, you're going for it, sir. Yeah. The execution was scheduled for February 17th of 1933, and Ruth was sent to the Arizona State Prison in Florence. Is there a reason that they never, like, took her to trial for Sammy? They just didn't. And I think it has to do with that affiliation with the potential brothel. And they didn't want to talk about the dismemberment. And this kind of comes up a little bit later. Yeah, they get a little squeamish in the 30s, Mm -hmm. too. Okay. Hmm. So, she's been sentenced, right? She's been sentenced to death by hanging. Sworn affidavits from the jurors started a little bit of a controversy. They stated that they were somewhat coerced to vote for this death penalty because one of the jurors, who was a former Mesa, Arizona mayor, Dan Kleinman, had convinced them that the death penalty was the only way for Ruth to give up her accomplices because he didn't think she could do this by herself. Uh, Tea out one second. Hey, Jess, Mesa, Lattice View, good times. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So jurors urge Judge Speakman to commute the sentence to a life imprisonment term. Ruth's defense would then argue juror misconduct and lodge two appeals, but none of these were successful. So it was like that that random juror was the one that made the suggestion that it has to be the death penalty, not the judge? Yes. Okay. They've got something they want done too. Right. So 
Ruth would be saved from certain death. Okay. The sentence was repealed after a 10-day hearing in which Ruth was found to be mentally incompetent. I'm reading about this, too, for a case that I'm researching. Not in Arizona, but this is about the same time period. There was a statute that if they became insane after the sentence, they could not be executed. So maybe that's... I don't know if they do that now so much but i doubt it because i doubt it too it seems like being sentenced to death would tip you over to becoming insane a little bit but uh yeah yeah that might just do it (laughs) yeah that's that's enough for me ruth was sent to the arizona state asylum for the insane on april 24th of 1933 so let's get back to jack for a little bit all right jack You better be a very interesting dude to have three women fighting over you. (sighs) I don't know. But he's already married and he has kids and he has a fucking gross nickname. And I know. You look at his picture, though, and you're like, eh. But it was said that he was a very charming personality. We're going to take a step back. So Ruth was sent to this asylum for the insane in 1933. So we're going to take a step back to December of 1932. During Ruth's trial, the affair between her and Jack became publicly known. (laughs) Hot guys. And he did come under suspicion as a potential accomplice to the murders, right? Because Ruth was, she was a little gal. She wasn't very big. I think she was like 5'7", maybe 100 pounds. She's little. So, Jack was indicted by a grand jury on December 30th. My birthday! (laughs) (laughs) And a preliminary hearing was held, like, kind of mid-January of 1933, in which Ruth was the star witness. So, a side note is that a preliminary hearing must be held within 14 days of the initial appearance if the defendant is being held in jail. And then if the defendant is out on bail, it must be scheduled within 21 days of the initial appearance. After the defendant enters their plea, the prosecution must then show that they have enough evidence in that amount of time to be able to right to charge the defendant with whatever quick question had ruth been declared insane yet or not not yet not yet okay the preliminary hearing is basically like a trial but the defense is not allowed to object to the presentation of any evidence so sometimes you will hear about evidence that is presented in a preliminary hearing but that actually never goes to the trial where the jury would hear it right is the preliminary trial then just with a judge it is yeah so then the judge will determine if there's probable cause that the defendant committed that crime then that trial will be set whether it's a jury trial or not because sometimes you can choose just a judge trial do you want a trial by your peers or do you want yeah Mm -hmm. just to make a dude this is tying back into my case from the the mid-20s so okay Ruth's testimony in Jack's case lasted three days, and she was quoted as saying, I am going to be hanged for something Jack Halloran is responsible for. I was convicted of murder, but I shot in self-defense. Jack Halloran removed every bit of evidence. He is responsible for me going through this. He is guilty of anything that I am guilty of. Ooh. I don't know, Ruth. 
this is where we start to learn a little bit more about what happened the evening of October 16th, 1931, when the actual murders occurred. Ruth testified that she had been invited to that bungalow on 2nd Street to play bridge, which was something that they commonly did with Annie, Sammy, and then some other woman. Yeah, London Bridge. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, that is a euphemism for sure, but damn. Yep. Uh, okay. <laughs> when Ruth arrived, she found that the other woman had already left. Ruth testified that there was an argument between the women because Ruth had introduced this other nurse from the clinic whose name was Lucille Moore to Jack earlier in the day. So, right, there's this kind of like tenuous relationship Stop about introducing Jack. people to Jack if you like him that much. I know, right? Ruth went on to say that she shot the women in self-defense after they attacked her. So Ruth also testified. Attacked her ego. I know. So Ruth also testified that Jack had come to the house to take care of the situation. And during the cross-examination, Ruth admitted that she did unpack the trunk that Jack supplied because it was too heavy and that she had separated the dismembered remains of Sammy into other pieces of luggage. Jack did not take the stand in his defense. Rather, his attorney argued that Ruth's testimony was nothing more than the rantings of an insane person. So, and I don't know if that's what then caused her to get this, like, insanity hearing right she's like oh yeah sure i'm insane i'll take yeah, that yeah sure mm-hmm. fucking crazy great idea perfect for me and they also argued which i thought was hilarious not that anything about murder trials is hilarious but they also argued that if this you know ruth is claiming that this is a self defense case right so they argued that if in fact ruth was telling the truth and that these murders were committed in self-defense then that meant there was actually no crime so you couldn't convict jack if there was no crime (laughs) oh wow right oh clever i like it on january 25th of 1933 the judge dismissed the case against jack stating that the state's case was inconsistent and that the prosecution of jack would be quote an idle gesture end quote but what you said it sounds like it was mostly Ruth's story but on the other mm-hmm. hand it could have been happy trails like money that like happy trails like you know, they're like, we can't put him on the stand. He's rich. Like, that kind of right? stuff, too. Yeah. Yeah. But Ruth was a terrible witness. Oh, yeah. So, Happy Jack <laughs> was free from prosecution. What a what a happy guy. I know. But sadly for him, he was not really the golden boy of Phoenix anymore. So, he lost his friends. He lost his no associates. with him. Exactly. Does he lose his he, wife? It didn't say. Damn it. I'm not sure. But he did lose social standing no one in Phoenix. could get a fucking divorce Good. in the 30s. He ended up in Tucson, Arizona, where he actually died in 1939. So just like six years later. Maybe he hmm. did have something to do with it and it stressed him out till he died. It could be. He's making shit up over here. Mm-hmm. Tuberculosis? Well, oh, maybe. Oh, it's a dry climate, though. Eh. 
So there are still some pretty big holes as far as what occurred on the evening of October 16th, 1931. Some of the articles, they've kind of like piecemealed this together, but some of the articles suggest that the women obviously were arguing about Jack, something to do with Jack. It was suggested that Annie and Sammy had threatened to tell Jack that Ruth had a venereal disease. <laughs> Jesus. Right? See, it's her ego that's right. They went right to it, though. Right to right. her throat. So Ruth clapped back that she would tell everyone that Annie and Sammy were lesbians, right? So this might, uh. like, affect their business if this was a business. Yeah. Isn't that guy's, like, go-to thing? They like thinking about that? I don't know. Maybe. Has it always been guy's go-to thing? Maybe. Two women? Cultural differences. Ruth evidently, like, made her way to the kitchen, and then Sammy came out from the back, pointing a twenty-five caliber pistol at Ruth. Yikes. And then they got into this struggle, and then Annie came into the kitchen and started hitting Ruth, and Sammy fired the pistol, which shot and put a bullet. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Through Ruth's hand. Sure, 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 sure. And then they continued to struggle, and then Ruth got a hold of the gun and ended up shooting both Annie and Sammy. It was suggested that Ruth then called Jack to come to the house, and upon arriving, Jack told Ruth to kind of clean up a little bit, go home. He would take care of the bodies. What a gentleman. I know. They were going to bury them somewhere in Arizona. Ruth went home. That would have been a better idea. I know. So Ruth went home, and then the following morning, she actually went to work, which is weird. (laughs) Damn, Ruth, hustle. (laughs) She got her hand taken care of, right? Because she's got this bullet, and she did have a bullet wound. It was an actual bullet wound. Yeah, it was. I kind of forgot about that, because I definitely wouldn't go to work if I had a bullet wound in my hand, let alone I killed two people. (laughs) Right, but she worked at a medical clinic, and Jack told her everything was going to be all right. So she goes to work, and then that afternoon, Jack told her to come, like, after work, come meet him at the bungalow. So when she arrived, the bodies were already packed into that big Packard trunk, both of them. And he told her that he had changed his mind. They weren't going to bury them out in the desert. But the best way for them to dispose of the bodies was for her to take them by train to Los Angeles. Yeah. (laughs) And then discard the remains so they couldn't be tied back to them logistically. Where all souls go to die anyway. <laughs> right. And dreams. Yeah. And he told Ruth that he had purchased her a train ticket to LA and that when she arrived, she would be met by one of his associates because he's mm. this very well-connected person. Right. He told Ruth that he had already called the transport company that was going to come pick up the trunks and then take them to the train station. So then Jack left the bungalow and that would be the last correspondence he had with Ruth. The transport company comes to pick up the trunk and the driver said, oh, no, no, no. No, 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 no. No, no, no. The train is not going to let you have one trunk that weighs over 300 pounds, right? <laughs> kind of like the airline, you can only have 50 pounds in your yeah, bag, whatever. Yeah. So Ruth said, okay, take it to my apartment. And they were like, okay. <laughs> Ruth heads back over to her apartment and then she opens the trunk Oof. and repackages Sammy's dismembered remains into the smaller trunk and then the valise. 
So she's the one that did the dismemberment? Well, it's questionable. Yeah. Because Hmm. technically, Sammy's body was already dismembered in the trunk. Okay. But she had to, like, reposition and rearrange Mm -hmm. and, like, move things from here to there and... Yeah. So then Ruth opened the trunk and repackaged Sammy's remains into the smaller luggage. And then she phoned the the transport company again. And now she's got these two trunks and then she's carrying with her that Belize and then the hat box. They pick up the two trunks and then the next morning she heads to the train station. Is that where our story ends? Of course not. I was going to say no. (laughs) Never. During the trial, Ruth was supported by her family and her husband, still Dr. Oh. William Judd, such a good dude. Ugh. And actually, Dr. Judd would remain married to Ruth until his death in October of 1945. So they never divorced. I he mean, just, she remained married to him while he was an alcoholic. So fair's fair, sir. Yeah. Right. Ruth is at the Arizona State Asylum for the Insane. She's a clever girl, and she had managed to escape the asylum six. Huh? I mean, they're not doing a very good job, but... <laughs> six fucking times between 1933 and 1963. Damn, girl. During wow. one of her escapes, Ruth walked over 184 miles following the railroad tracks from Phoenix to Yuma before she was captured. 184 miles. It's insane. That's, That's so much. Like, I, to walk? Just walk? Mm-hmm. God. Yep. However, the most notable of her escapes occurred on October 8th of 1963 when she used a key to the front door of the hospital <laughs> that a friend had given her. That's oh, amazing. Oh, a friend, eh? Right? No favors made. You're bringing in mm-hmm. those brothel skills. Right? And Ruth was captured from this particular escape six fucking years later. <gasps> Whoa! Holy balls! Live it up. <laughs> Jesus. And where was she? San Francisco. Okay, I was like, Phoenix? <laughs> no. Nope. I was Phoenix? <laughs> yeah. Damn. Six years? Six years. Girl. And she was wow. in San Francisco where she was working as a live-in maid for a very wealthy family. She knows what she's good at. Right. And this is where she started using that alias Marion Kane. Uh, so yeah. she was discovered and sent back to Arizona on August 18th of 1969. Just imagine your fucking maid. You realize they've been on the run for six years because they murdered two people. I know, right? <laughs> and like, oh, escaped from minute. an insane asylum. And you're like, yeah, I live in my house. That's cool. Okay, but keep that in mind. Keep that thought right there in mind. Okay. <laughs> Ruth hired Melvin Belly. I don't know what? if I'm saying that right. <laughs> Melvin, Melvin Belly. Mr. Belly. And he, evidently he was a famed defense attorney. I didn't look it up to see if he actually was or not. But Melvin ended up passing the buck to his friend or colleague, uh, Larry DeBus. I'm sure that's probably not how you pronounce it. <laughs> Mr. Belly and Larry DeBus. <laughs> DeBus. Get on DeBus. Larry was the one who was kind of in charge of overseeing Ruth's case. So Governor Jack Williams agreed to sign a release for Ruth as long as it was kind of kept quiet. And then Uh. Melvin called the press 
asking for Ruth's immediate release, which caused some bad blood. Mm -hmm. However, Ruth was paroled and released from the asylum on December 22nd of 1971. No, like no punishment at all for being on the run for six years. Nope. No, because she's crazy. Uh, But now she's not. We're going to let her go. Yeah. (laughs) After quite a few more years, this Larry dude was trying to get her off of parole. In December of 1983, Arizona issued Ruth an absolute discharge. So she was free. She was done. She was good to go. Wow. Clean slate. So she was paroled in 1971. So she moved back to San Francisco. Did she go back and work? Yeah. No. Back to work for that wealthy family. They're like, she didn't kill us. So She must have been a damn good maid. And then later she would move to Stockton, California, and then eventually Ruth moved back to Phoenix, and she died on October 23rd of 1998 at the age of 93. Wow. Damn, Which was 76 years to the day from her surrender at the funeral home to the LAPD. (laughs) Wow. Oh, man. Damn, girl. I know. This whole thing is just fucking crazy. But for, like, pop culture, publicity type shit, an investigative journalist named Jana Bombersbach re-examined Ruth's case and was able to interview Ruth herself. Oh, wow. Right? So cool. So Bombersbach had concluded that the police and the prosecutors were biased and that further investigation should have been done, right? Because there's still so many questions about, like, Jack's involvement and, like, yeah, yeah, potentially some of the other people that may have visited this bungalow on 2nd Street. True. Part of her articles, like, talk about, like, the autopsy photos and the dismemberment of Sammy and that it was surgical in nature and that Ruth didn't actually possess those skills. And there was, Mm. like, one article that talked about how Jack had said something about how this doctor owed him a favor. So this might have been one of his, like, male friends that he had brought to the bungalow before. So... Anyways, these articles that Bombersbach wrote cover a whole lot more. If you're interested in reading those articles, they were published for the Phoenix News Times and then later into a book called The Trunk Murderess, Winnie Ruth Judd. So we can add that to our bookshelf. Yay! Cool. Mm-hmm. In 2004, a supposed confession letter turned up that was written in April of 1933 to Ruth's attorney, H.G. Richardson, in which Ruth stated that she had done this all by herself, basically, that she had planned and she committed the murders. So whether or not it's true, no one can really say, but there's another book called Winnie Ruth Judd, The Trunk Murders that was written or co-written by J. Dwight Dobkins. And he's kind of disputing this confession letter saying it's one of many, it's kind of bullshit. We can probably put that book up on, on the bookshelf as well. And so there are a shit ton of other books, shows, screenplays that have some tie to this case. And I had never heard of it. So I, I when either. I, yeah, this is crazy. I started Googling, right? Because I was like, oh, we're missing Arizona. So like, what's, 
What's, What's in Arizona? <laughs> now, now we fucking know. What was popping in Arizona? And this case was like the big one. So um, there's a ton of shit on this. It's it's super interesting. There's so many theories. There is a really great documentary on YouTube and I have the link in my notes so we can post that on the website. But one item that I found like fucking disturbing was in 2007, a film called Murderous. The Winnie Ruth Judd story, and it was written and directed by Scott, and I'll butcher this, but Caballio, I think. But it featured an all marionette cast. Ah! No, 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 no. Oh, that's like Team America, though. I fucking hate. I don't dolls. like that at all. We're no. making this Mm-mm. making this murder worse. And then the kicker is is that this film, it's a full feature length film. It plays annually at Phoenix. No. Yeah. Phoenix's Trunk Space Theater on October 16th, which is the day the murders occurred. What was the theater named after? Trunk? I don't know if they did that on purpose. <laughs> is it like like built up with trunks and stuff? Like is there a decoration inside? I don't know. You get your popcorn served in like a mini trunk. Oh my god, that's I'm- awful. <laughs> It's so hard to clean if it was like wood. Right. I'm just picturing like one of those little plastic things like hinges open. Oh my God. Treasure chest. There's so much on this case. It's so crazy. But that is the story of Winnie Ruth Judd. Awesome. For astrology, she is an Aquarius and she was born on January 29th of 1905. And it was either Darlington, Indiana or Oxford, Indiana. So they're about an hour apart from each other. And I pulled both natal charts. It really didn't change the planetary alignments, which was quite interesting. Since this was a little bit of a longer episode, I'm going to keep it short with just her sun and her moon. So she is an Aquarius sun and a Sagittarius moon. Oh, oh yes. all that traveling. I know. She's going, <laughs> she's going all over the place. Right. She's her own woman. Mm-hmm. So as a Aquarius sun, one of the standout characteristics of Aquaria is their unwillingness to follow kind of the beaten path. And they are mm-hmm. very independent and known to be progressive, though some may believe that to be kind of rebellious, which is kind of true because, like, she had, you know, Ruth had that, like, rooted religious Oh, yeah. Upbringing. So, like, what better to do than to rebel and marry some dude that's 26 years older than you and fucking move to Mexico? I was going to say pastor's kid. Right? <laughs> they got issues. <laughs> they do. So, and then her moon is in Sagittarius. So, lunar sags have that need for personal freedom, and they are known to be extraordinarily happy and easygoing as long as they aren't feeling restricted. So, they're agile, they're tough, they're enthusiastic. And then you combine the Aquarius sun and the Sagittarius moon, and you get, ooh, pretty. That's so good. Oh my god, that's amazing. For our listeners, she just drew the... It's a saguaro flower, and there's two trunks, dark trunks in front of it. Oh my god, that's <laughs> oh, beautiful, so Sarah. Good. I think this is what I'm going to do from now on, because it's like, it's really fun and therapeutic to draw during it. And yeah. Just I love this. The and then, yeah. Cool. I love it. Okay, so right. we'll post Sarah's drawing as well, because it's really it's gorgeous. really good, and she did it in like, what, 45 minutes? <laughs> 
Again, this combination of the Aquarius sun and the Sagittarius moon, they tend to be physically and intellectually active and they are independent and somewhat glamorous and competitive. <laughs> yeah. Well, she also started living her best life when she dropped her husband off at rehab and was like, uh, okay, bye bye. Play nice. I'm going to go be my own independent woman now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the downside to this combination <laughs> is that they can be temperamental and hostile. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I wish we knew what um Sammy and Annie's were. Because, like, that weird friendship where they're fighting all the time. It's a lot of strong personalities. Toxic. Just, like, yeah. no one's backing down. There's probably a Gemini in there. What? <laughs> well, like, if you've got air and air going on, True. and they're both very strong yeah. personalities, and one of them is like, got a Sagittarius back, and the other one's like, I'm going to be this person today, but tomorrow we'll see. <laughs> you know? Well, if you're going to run a brothel catering to rich men and you're a lesbian, you got to have two sides. <laughs> there you go. Oh, you. I love that. There's a lot of strong personality in that bungalow. Mm hmm. There's a lot Which of shit. Why they going could on. not live together. I do have a couple other tidbits about astrology that's coming up, unless, Sarah, you've got something. I had something, but if you're going to talk about it, I don't know, are you talking about the new moon? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. You can if you want, or I can just chime in where I feel like... Mine's super short. Okay. On January 31st, which is the day this episode will air, we get a new moon in Aquarius. So this is our second new moon of the month, and this brings out our inner fighting spirit as we look at the world through kind of like refreshed eyes. And then this is a really good time to ask yourself, what could you accomplish if you knew you couldn't fail? Yeah, love it. Oh, God. Right? Yeah. Definitely been holding myself And then this translates to Friday, February 4th, because Mars in Capricorn is going to be sextile. That's that 60 degree aspect with Jupiter in Pisces. And this is when our fighting spirit comes out. And this is a very enthusiastic aspect as we go after what we desire with like a really robust energy. Oh, yeah. Get it, girl, but but not if you're going to murder two people. And put them yeah. in trunks. And like, Don't put them in trunks. And don't travel by fucking train. And don't fuck Jack. God. No. There's so many things not to do here. Not like an Aquarius mm-hmm. would listen. That's but. fair. <laughs> yeah. They're like, no, I have to find out for myself. Yep, exactly. Like, like no, this is bad. <laughs> Get out of that situation. Ta-da. I really awesome. loved this case. No, that was a wild Yeah, it was ride. so cool. There were so many twists and turns in it, and there's still so many unanswered questions, but thank you, Arizona, for providing me some really great entertainment as I was researching this case. I never have time to read books or anything like that because I am who I am, <laughs> but at some point in my life, I will read more about this case because it is just so fucking interesting, but yeah. Thank you, Arizona. This was a doozy for fucking sure. This one was great. (laughs) For closeout, 
again, we've said it before, reach out to us. We would love to interact with any of you about pretty much anything, murder, astrology, pets of any sort. I mean, we are all crazy cat ladies, but yeah. we love all animals. So reach out to us. We're on Twitter at True Trine, on Instagram at True Crime Trine, Facebook, TCT Podcast. You can email us directly, truecrimetrying at gmail.com, and then check out our amazing website. It's www.truecrimetrying.com. No quote. Bye. I was trying to look one up really fast. I couldn't really find a good Aquarius quote. We were all kind of cheesy. Are there any cactus quotes? Ooh. Oh, a cactus quote. You may be given a cactus, but you don't have to sit on it. (laughs) Oh, I love it. It's like life is what you make it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, adapt to your situations. It's not a chair. (sighs) And I have an unsigned quote that says, life is like a cactus, full of pricks, but also very beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. Indeed. All right. Yeah, these are way better than the Aquarius quotes. And I also like this one. A cactus is just a really aggressive cucumber. (laughs) (laughs) Botanists would disagree, but (laughs) sure. Oh, God. That's good. Okay. Anywho, that's what I got. Happy fucking whatever. Love it. Very Aquarius of you. (laughs) All done. Bye. 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 Music for our podcast was handcrafted by the talented and creative minds of Mike Warren and Pete Ortega. Our artwork was imagined and skillfully designed by the lovely Sarah Guest. As for production, well, they call me post-production. Show notes are available upon request. Just email truecrimetrine at gmail.com. Join us again next week for another tantalizing episode.